Hello and welcome to the Bald Explorer podcast. This is episode two. I'm Richard Vobes and it's the 22nd of December 2018. And you might think or might say that this is the Christmas edition. After all, there's only a few days left to go. And thank you for listening. In this episode, we're going to be looking at geocaching. We released a video fairly recently, and you may remember that the lovely Julia and I went off in search of geocaching. It is something that I have done a long time ago, uh, and by accident we found one, and it reminded me that it would be good to make a video. And if you've not seen it, do check out the Facebook or YouTube channel, and you'll find the video. We'll play you an excerpt shortly. Also... What is it like switching to sustainable wood and cooking, heating and drying your clothes as well as heating your house on a wood-burning stove? The lovely Julia and I have released a gallery video. Now, I'm not quite sure whether this is going to be weekly or fortnightly or even once a month, but we've released the video today and it's on the YouTube channel. We talk about our ambitions on that a little later in the show. Of course, we've got the book of the week. I shall recommend a book that I've read recently and let you know what I think and then tell you what's coming up in next week's podcast and where we go in the new year. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Let's get into it, shall we? First of all, geocaching. I'm sitting in the car with the lovely Julia. Hello, Julia. Hello, Richard. We have taken you halfway up a hill. It does seem that way. Uh, we're on the old London road from Worthing to London. Oh, look, there's a cyclist uh, to our left struggling, struggling to get up, up the hill. Struggling up the hill. <laughs> got all the kit on. Yeah. And going in incredibly slowly in a very high gear. Very yeah. wise. Well, if he keeps going, he will actually join up. Um, on the A24, where the South Downs Way crosses the A24. We're just between Findon and Washington, just north of Worthing. Yes, we are. We are. And we're on the the Old London Road, which now is very quiet. In the old days, the Old London Road went from Worthing, Findon, and through Washington. All the way to London. Well, all the way to London. But it sort of, it it, it used to go around. Weaving through them. Yeah, past St. Mary's Church, or close to St. Mary's Church in Washington. Of course, I think in the 60s, they put in the bypass which bypasses Findon and also Washington, and it's now very fast dual carriageway. Mm. So you don't get so much traffic here. The reason we're here is we're looking for a geocache. Yes, we are. Now, we've been filming. We have found one. That was very successful, and the video um, is probably already out by the time you get to listen to this. However, we thought, as we were close to another one, we would, and while there's still a bit of sunlight, yeah, we'll go in there. Not that we need sunlight with a podcast, but well, we still need to see where we're going with this geocache, don't we? That's very true, and we need to take pictures, yes, yeah. So, you're quite right. So, we've parked in a layby. We have, um, we should just explain for those that don't know, there's a website geocaching. If you put geocaching into Google, you'll find the main website. Forget off the top of my hand what it is, it'll be in the notes, um, and 
you can download an app which tells gives you a map which lists where these geocaches now geocaches for those that don't know they're like little treasure troves usually in plastic boxes um, or some of them are micro ones which can be in little tubular boxes yeah and so sometimes they, they, you can get well you can buy um, proper little containers that um that are camouflaged so they'll look like a piece of bark or yes part of a, a, a pole or even a nut and bolt things like that it's really cool and so it is really a treasure hunt yes with gps yes if you've got gps on your phone you should be able to sort of track where these are and there are clues if you can't find them yeah yeah some of them are uh, a little bit more cryptic than others yeah. i have with my friend spent um it was at least 45 minutes i think on one particular cache and oh, it was a nightmare um, I don't think we did find it in the end. We had to abandon. But yeah, now I quickly got bored of that one. But she was insistent and I was like, oh. <laughs> but we had found several before that and several after. It's great fun, isn't it? It is, yes. So there's no point in us sitting in the car. We're never going to find them that way. No, we're not, actually. So you've got one marked up on the map off the old London road. I've parked up at a suitable place. Normally you can go walking for, you know, find several. But for the purposes of this, we have parked reasonably close and we're going to go searching. Yes, we are. Let's go. Let's. Stepping out of the car. Don't forget to take the key out of the ignition and lock the car now i thought it might be very close to where we are but the map actually takes us further north doesn't it uh, south actually well it's a very confused map right now we probably need was to pointing that way oh now we've got out where's the a24 the a24 is on our left so that this is correct now so we, oh so we're we actually go going down. north okay so we're taking a, a walk away there is um some trees on the lay-by, some logs and some significant places where you could hide a cache and you are looking for something obvious but it's not always obvious and I know that doesn't make any sense it's just once you get into it you start to think about the sort of places they might be how are we doing on the map? Well. It seems to be getting... Oh, there's a little tent down there. It's funny, isn't it? There's a little tent just off the road. I wonder if anybody's in it. Right, this thing has just buzzed at me. Yeah. I oh, think, it's buzzed? Yeah, I think it's telling us we're getting close. Oh. Oh, no. Back, back. Back, back. It can't be in the church. It can't be in the road. Well, it must be somewhere behind a tree. Say that again, within two metres, did you say? Yeah. Certainly can't be in that tent, can it? I don't want to disturb, there's a tent, which is very strange, in the middle of nowhere. Whether somebody's in there sleeping rough, I don't know. But somewhere here should be. Did you say there was a clue? Yeah, ah. What was the clue? It had arrows. It must be here. So the chevrons here? Yes, it had arrows, like chevrons. Okay. Well done. Wait, here we go. Have you got it? Yeah, down here, look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a small, small one, either. No, this is uh, about just about the size of a t um, baked bean can. 
I'll take a picture of it once we've done. Let's open it up and see what's inside. So it is a um, a proper like Tupperware pot. This one's got a, a matchbox car in it. Oh, fantastic. What's that at the bottom? I can get my fingers in deep enough. Geocaching Association of Great Britain. The GAGB was, was established to provide an elected voice for its members in the United Kingdom. There's a website address here, gagb.co.uk, with yeah. all the Ws. Check out our guidelines and codes of conduct. Browse the forums for news on association, blah, 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 and all of that. Yep, That's go fantastic. ahead and find that. Then inside is a little plastic bag with a notebook, and yeah. you've got a pen, and there's even a pen in there. There's a, a tiny, tiny little pen, pen in there. <laughs> oh, well done, Julia. So there we are. It isn't difficult but it's fun it is fun yeah and the clues you know if the clues don't uh, when I saw it it just said in and then it had a series of those arrows chevron arrows and it didn't strike me until you said is there a clue and then I looked at these arrows and then <laughs> yeah it all made sense oh, not cute. an easy place to uh, stop although no actually we did find a car park very close by so we're so going to write our name I'm the, gonna the last people here were, were on the 23rd of November and it was Kanga and Brown Owl <laughs> oh there you go um, well, most well geocaches tend to use a, a nickname or a you know oh, do they? kind of a, a login type name well my nickname and login is just Vobes I've uh, got an official account now I'm going to get one of my cards unless well, you've um, got one I'm in. sorry I've been writing um, the Bold Explorer oh right that'll do I'm going to get one of my cards and shove it in it yeah good idea brilliant well there you go that's geocaching. <laughs>so thank you for the lovely Julia there for helping me understand and explore geocaching. And if you didn't check out the video, then you can. It's on the YouTube and Facebook channels. So, what is it like living with a wood-burning stove. Well, I'm still discovering that very subject myself. I bought an Essie Ironheart about, oh, I suppose a month ago. It uh, had issues when it arrived because the version that I wanted was not the correct version that I ordered. Uh, so there was a little bit of a, a hiccup on that. The version that I wanted was to be with a pre-fitted boiler. In other words, I could heat up my water system uh, in the house on the back of heating up the SE Ironheart stove. And um, it didn't come. It didn't come with that. And I didn't know until they'd delivered it and positioned it. Now, this is a... Well, it's an iron heart, but I don't know that it's actually cast iron. I think most of it's steel, to be honest with you. But either way, it's incredibly heavy. And once it was in position, there was no way. They were very reluctant to take it away. I was also reluctant for them to take it away because I knew it had taken a long time for this thing to arrive and winter was coming and I needed something for my house. So I, uh, if only to warm the house up, let alone cook. So I was perfectly happy to have the boiler retrofitted. Now, this is something that a friend of mine, Mr. Suggett, and I actually carried out. It was a, a slightly um, 
involved task, far more involved than one realised after looking at a few YouTube videos because the the boiler was not fitted in the place that we had assumed that it was fitted. It was actually fitted inside the firebox, which makes it a lot more efficient, of course, because the heat of the fire is immediately adjacent to the boiler area. So the water comes into this boiler area, which is, I suppose, the size of a small briefcase, but but very narrow. Water comes into that and immediately goes out again. And as it goes through, it's warming up. It then goes up into the main tank and through a coil in that tank uh, so it doesn't contaminate the water in the main water tank. And then it heats that water up. And that water, which is on a separate system, is what you use in your um, in your hot, whether you're you know washing up for the kitchen or in your bath, shower or whatever. Now, you can attach a pump and, of course, you could have the... SE power up uh, and heat radiators around the house. I've chosen not to do that because I wanted this fairly simple and fairly quick um, and I've only got a small house and there are fires in other rooms. Anyway, that was a month ago. We fit it in and we've lit it and actually I love it. I really do like it. It's, the aim was to have something which was an alternative to feeding money towards the big six and being dependent on the gas and electricity for my heating. Um, I, in the past, uh, up until a, a month ago, I was drying clothes in the not-so-good days and the winter months, the colder months, in a tumble dryer, which, as you can imagine, is a very expensive way to do that. Um, I was also heating my water in a very old-fashioned way with an immersion heater. And that, of course, is very expensive. Um, and so the aim was to save money, or at least if I'm paying the same amount of money to do all those things, but to do it in a more um, sustainable way. And by sustainable, I mean by purchasing local wood, which has been seasoned, and from a coppiced wood, and you're giving the, the money to somebody who runs a small business locally rather than uh, a large business. Now, it is a completely different way of thinking. It's a much slower system if you want to cook because you've got to think about the fact that you are going to be cooking and that you want the hot plate or the oven warm or hot um, because most of the time you would have the... S.E. Ironheart ticking over um, so it's on very very low because otherwise you're just burning up loads of fuel for the sake of it and actually you're blasting your house with a lot of heat so about half an hour depending on what sort of thing you want to cook half an hour to an hour you would stoke it up open up all the um, air flows so that more air is aerating or oxygenating the wood and the flames and of course consequently you get a bigger pile of ash and that's really what heats everything up and so it is a slightly different way of thinking but that's okay I was quite happy with that um, I'm pretty much self-employed and I work from home a lot and so because I work from home a lot I wanted that warmer environment at home and in the winter particularly in the kitchen um, and of course I'd be around m most of the time at meal times of course ladies and gentlemen as you know I nip out um, and go on the walks to make the videos um, 
three, four times a week. Um, but I'm coming back to edit and I'm here in the evenings. So, so far it has been great, except I have discovered one major issue is that I've the supplier that I have got, and it may be that it's just the season and the demand on the wood at the moment, is that the wood is not properly seasoned. Um, I think I think what you would do in this situation, probably, and I'm I'm still learning. Um, and let me just say, I have a, a wood burning stove in the front room and it's absolutely fine. The wood is fine for that. It, I have no problems. It heats up the house. It's lovely. But I think with the Iron Heart, with the SE Iron Heart stove, there's a lot of metal that warms up the smoke um, or rather the heat and consequently the smoke is uh, guided around the unit and I think if you burn greenish wood that's not properly seasoned or not seasoned or, or just not dry is you do get a lot of tar. And I've been getting a lot of horrible, nasty tar, which is smelly and also um, produces quite a bit of smoke, which when you open the firebox billows out. Uh, into the kitchen rather than going up the chimney and it can fur up with this uh, tar uh, the little passages that the smoke has to travel and if it blocks that up to any degree of course it's looking for the easiest route out which is through the firebox door rather than drawing up the chimney uh, and of course it can if you burn too much of that it will fur up your chimney as well and that's not good for you so but as I say, on the wood burning stove in the front room or if you've got an open fire, I think it's absolutely fine. I think when you're cooking, it's a very different thing. And so I think my policy now is to purchase the wood in larger numbers, store as much of it as possible and let it sit there for another six months to dry out before I start to use it. And then I think it will be absolutely fine. I'll report back on the process of living with a, um, a a unit such as this, a wood burning. I don't really want to burn coal because it is a bit more smelly and the the more smokeless stuff is a lot more expensive. But, you know, I'm open to suggestion and I may try it. So anyway, I just thought I'd give you a report because a lot of people have known that I have bought this thing and perhaps they're interested, will I save money and what are the benefits? Well, it is a faff because every week you do have to clean it out. But actually, I quite enjoy that. I think you have to be a special sort of person. All right, let's move on. The gallery video. If you've been up early and you've been on YouTube or Facebook, you may have noticed that already we have launched the lovely Julia and I art gallery video. This is a new thing. We used to do the gallery in the Bald Explorer Live and also in something I do called the Vogue Show, which is a live Facebook show. But we thought that rather than keep it in that, it would be nice to make it in its own standalone show that people can see it and be encouraged to send photos in. I went out with the lovely Julia to record some links and we recorded a little insert for the show about our new video. Well, I've dashed out of the studio now and nipped over to Stopham. In fact, I've come to Stopham Bridge to meet up with the lovely Julia. And there she is. Hello, lovely Julia. Hello, lovely Richard. Now, 
you've brought me at your request here to stop them in the glorious sunshine how lovely what a lovely spot to meet up it is really lovely isn't it it's the first time i've actually stopped stopped myself i've yeah. driven past many times and obviously i've seen the videos that you've done here um but yeah so it's really good to see it in the flesh and walk across the Stopham Bridge. Yes, and touch the lovely stones. <clears throat> now, there's a reason why we've come to the Stopham Bridge, which crosses the River Arran here in West Sussex, very close to Pulborough. And um, what is that reason? Well, that was to film some links for the gallery show. Oh, yes, that's right. We're here because we've decided that... Um, as we used to have in something called the Vogue Show, a gallery exhibition, I suppose, of all the contrib contributions that the lovely uh, contributors <laughs> posted <laughs> on the Bald Explorer page uh, group, group um, we decided we'd take that out of the Vogue Show um, and make it into its own video and place that on the Bald Explorer group and on the Bald Explorer page and on YouTube and so on and so forth. Yeah. And each week, well, however often, we haven't quite agreed how regularly we're going to do it, have we? No, we haven't quite decided that far yet, have we? But um, we thought the links to the photos ought to be somewhere pretty inspiring in itself, in the hope that it will encourage people to take more pictures, post them in the Bald Explorer Facebook group, and then we can hoik out not necessarily the best but the ones that um, impress us the most yes yes um, and tell a story more often than not I take at least one picture from everyone who posts because I like to be inclusive yes of course but um, but yeah no we're really lucky that we always get really good pictures really yeah we have and we want to carry on and encourage people to continue doing that um, we just happen to be as we said at Stopham Bridge, and the River Seven, uh, the River Seven, it's not the River Seven, the River Arran has flooded, and there's an oak tree here, which is quite incredible because where it's flooded, it's surrounded by water, and it's just this tree emerging from this very brown uh, river. It looks stunning, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? It's interesting enough, actually. I mean, not only has it got the lovely green jumpery effect of the moss and, and stuff. Hugging but, the bark. But if you look on the on the main trunk there, yeah. the facing the sun, yeah. there's more ferns. Oh yes. We saw that at the weekend, didn't we? Um, another oak that had lots of moss and, and ferns growing along one particular branch. Yeah, actual ferns growing off the branch. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's a good the, 12 uh, foot up in the air. Yeah, and that's above the water, <coughs> yeah. you know, so yeah, yeah. I don't know how much more there is. It's probably just only a few inches really, but... Yeah, maybe below a foot the waterline so, yeah. tree, but so we're we're very excited about the launch of the gallery yes. and the new gallery. We do want you to let us know and comment, and if you think it's good, of course we want you to um, send some more pictures. Yep, and and post them as you have been on the Facebook group. And if you're not a member of Facebook, being aware that this is an audio podcast, and you may not realise that there's a Bald Explorer page and a Bald Explorer facebook group do check it out we'll bung the links in the description yeah it, it is a closed facebook group so all you have to do is you know request to join and yep yeah, we'll you know as soon as we can one of them the admin will add you in yeah there's no hoops to jump through no there's there? no hoops you know we, we don't ask a joining up question or anything like that you don't have to get your brain selling gear just 
click join and we'll add you in. You're one of the admins yourself, aren't you, Julie? I am, I am. We've got a nice team of admin in there. And but it's a nice friendly group. It is. It doesn't really require too much intervention at all. So um, it, it's it, just just about adding adding people. <laughs> so there we are. So that's it. That's the new gallery will be launched. So I better hot foot it back to the studio so I can continue with the rest of the podcast. I'll catch up with you later, Julia. Cool, no problem, no problem. Take care, I'll see you later. Take care. She's actually shaking my hands. (laughs) So thanks to Julia for helping me sort out the gallery video and do take a look. Time now for the book of the week. This is a book, and I only really recommend books that I've read personally, uh, otherwise it wouldn't be fair. This one I enjoyed immensely, actually, and it's called The Wood for the Trees, A Long View of Nature from a Small Wood by Richard Forty. That's F-O-R-T-E-Y. I'll read you what it says on the inside fly because it's quite interesting. The woods are the great beauty of the country is how John Stuart Mill described a small patch of beech and bluebell woodland in the Chiltern Hills now owned by Richard Forty. Drawing upon a lifetime of scientific expertise and an abiding love of nature, Forty uses his small wood to tell a wider story of the ever-changing British landscape, human influence on the countryside over many centuries and the vital interactions between flora, fauna and fungi. The trees provide a majestic stage for the woodland animals and plants to reveal their own stories. Forty presents his wood as an interwoven collection of different habitats, rich in species. His attention ranges from the beech and cherry trees that dominate the wood to the flints underfoot, the red kites and woodpeckers that soar overhead, the lichens, mosses and liverworts decorating the branches, as well as the myriad of species of spiders, moths, beetles and crane flies. The 300 species of fungi identified in the wood capture his attention as much as the familiar deer, shrews and dormice. So um, that's really what the book is about. And it's that's very much a, a great precy of what it is. He takes you through a year in the life of his wood. And a lot of uh, books have done this, I noticed. He starts in April, which I'm guessing is at the beginning of a, a spring when life is just about to burst open and we go through the blossom, we go through the unfurling of the leaves. He talks about the various different species of trees that he has in there and the microcosm of minor creatures that live on these trees. He talks about the necessary uh, decay of the tree. He looks at the local history um, in the area. He is um, very close. Uh, now, just going to try and remember which where the, which the town was. Um, oh, I do know. I do know the name of the town, and I can't immediately bring it to mind for a reason. But it's off. It's off the River Thames, and he talks about the Thames uh, and how the wood was. Uh, the coppiced wood back then, the beech wood, was uh, in great demand and sent down towards London. Um, and 
he talks about the neighbouring estates and how the estate, uh, how the larger estates were were operated, and then how now it's all changed. Uh, in as much as there are small parcels of land and and people are owning tiny little bits of wood, which uh, he looks at the pros and cons of that. Uh, And, of course, in some respects, how technology has, in some ways, regretfully changed the the nature of the landscape because people are not using the landscape uh, and living off the landscape in the way that they were. Um, and it's a fantastic book. He he also talks about the different trees uh, over the course of the year. Uh, he goes up in a cherry picker uh, in the, the middle of the wood and gets onto the very top of the canopy to take uh, little um, uh, samples, specimens of insects and flies and that sort of thing, uh, and and then has them an- analysed. And, and like so many times I've read this, it's fascinating because certain woods certain areas will have their own species of insects or flowers that are not seen and found anywhere else and so it's that diversity which is uh, important there's a section where he talks about bats and they go and uh, go bat detecting moths they collect a whole load of moths and talk about the myriad of different moths which is um, quite amazing Um, Henley that's where it is Henley on Thames um and and the the sort of elegance of the local uh the local estate and various things it's absolutely fascinating it's a lovely book well written uh, very readable and every chapter as i say is a month of the year and it's fascinating and, and even if you were to pick it up and just follow it you could relate a lot of that to your local area and if you don't have to own a wood i think to appreciate the wonders of nature and everything that goes around you just have to visit them so it's a it's a great idea to um go and have a look at uh, read a book like this and then observe the things when you go out walking i think that's very very good okay coming up next week ladies and gentlemen videos uh, i've got a walk with the lovely mr Suggett from the veg grower podcast Uh, He does a podcast and videos based on growing your own vegetables in an allotment or in small areas. And he tells you his story. Well, he's been a great follower of the Bald Explorer. And you may have noticed that he has also appeared on the screen and we go off walking occasionally. Um, He used to live in the Pulborough area in West Sussex. And we decided that um, we would take a little stroll to see... In the space of about three miles, I think, if that, what we could find. We started at Stopham Bridge, but that was only our start point because we wanted to take in the Motton Bailey Castle, or the site of, which was positioned there. This would have been a timber Motton Bailey Castle on a promontory just beside the River Arran, built to protect the River Arran uh, because that's where goods would have been coming up. And then we carried on uh, to a Second World War um, gun emplacement, which also was not really so much protecting the River Arran because it was in the other side of um, the promontory, but uh, bridges and the actual railway 
because uh, this would have been, as I say, in principally in 1940 and beyond, when there was a huge threat of invasion and a gun emplacement was there to stop, uh, which they seriously thought that the Germans at that time, Hitler and his army, were going to get across and it was very likely to be trying to get to London as quickly as possible. And so a number of these gun emplacements were positioned to thwart that invasion as much as one could do. Um, and there are a number of these sort of things littered around the countryside. I believe that there were there was a, um, a payment of something like five pounds, I believe, given to farmers to dismantle these things after the war. But I think a number of farmers just took the money and didn't bother. They just said, well, I can leave it on the land and put some hay bales in them or utilise the building. Built with reinforced concrete, they still stand there some nearly 80 years uh, after the Second World War, which is fascinating. And it's all local history. So we go and pass one of those. We also then continue on our walk up to have a look at the Tote Monument. This is an edifice on another promontory that sticks up like a needle. And I'm, I don't know too much information about the Tote Monument. I did uh, do some research, but then uh, that was many years ago. I think it's probably a 19th century folly. But um, we've made a, a short video or a short three videos on this walk. So I hope you'll enjoy that. That's coming up next week. Well, in the next podcast next week, this will be the last one before the new year. And I'm going to have a look at the uh, a roundup, really, I suppose, of the things that have been getting up to in the last year and just thinking about how successful some things were, what worked, what possibly didn't, and then look at the aims and ambitions for the next year. Got lots of ideas and it would be lovely to share those with you. So thank you very much for listening. Um, it just remains really to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a, well, I was going to say Happy New Year, but I'll do that in the next show. Have a lovely time and I hope that uh, you manage over the Christmas period to bung on your walking boots, get out, stretch your legs, take some photographs, possibly post them in the Bald Explorer Gallery uh, on the Bald Explorer group page and then we may pick them up and put them in the gallery video. You never know. And have a lovely time. So thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Bye.